Howdy. Howdy. Oh, it's good to hear that again. As Matt said, my name is Ricky Allegretto, and it is a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. I am very excited to be here. As Matt also said, I'll be here all summer with you guys. I'm interning here for a seminary uh, with the college ministry, working with Matt. So as we get going here, though, let me tell you first a little bit about myself. I graduated from A&M back in 2004. What? No, no, oops. Just one. So I guess I'm old. Uh, And while I was here in College Station, I was really involved in Grace, and I was a youth leader and also a college growth groups leader. And after I finished up here, I actually stuck around and interned for three more years. So after that, uh, now I'm in seminary, and um, unfortunately, they don't count that three-year internship, so I'm back (laughs) for the summer. Uh, And during that first internship, I also met my beautiful wife, Sarah. Honey, wave at everybody. Say hi. (laughs) And um, it was during that time that we began to date, and uh, we left here, and I started seminary in 2007, and we got married. And I'm in a program that's a 120-hour program at DTS, so it's like getting a whole second undergrad. So I've got one year left. And during that time, I've also been working for about the last four years at the Apple Store. So if you have any Mac questions or iPhone questions later, feel free to ask me. And during that time, Sarah is, has been a special education teacher at an elementary school. She's actually getting ready to start a distance grad program through A&M in special education. And we just found out recently that we are having a baby in December. So, yeah. We're excited about that. There's nobody else I'd rather start a family with than that lovely girl right there. (laughs) That's probably a good thing, right? (laughs) Well, let me start this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever fallen in love before? If not, do you at least know someone who's fallen in love? Maybe a roommate or a sibling. You know, they they start acting all strange and weird. You never see them anymore. They kind of disappear off the face of the earth. I have a couple of old roommates here in the room who I'm kind of looking at. <laughs> you, you don't know where they are anymore. Just you know every one, once a month that the rent check magically appears on the counter, and that's about all that you, you, you know. But when you do see them, you notice some changes. They're, they talk in, oh, they talk in a soft voice, and they sigh a lot, and all of a sudden they want to watch all romantic comedies all the time, and you're like, what is the deal? But at least one good thing comes out of this. At least the bathroom is clean now, right? They clean the bathrooms for their girlfriend or boyfriend, and that's, that's the good news. I remember when Sarah and I went on our first date. Uh, it was when I was an intern here, and Sarah was a senior. It was during the summer, so I called her on the phone to find out if I could take her out on a date. This was a Sunday night. I remember this vividly. I was sitting in my car. So I asked with anticipation, and she says, I don't know. And I don't really know how to respond to that. So I say, okay, well, uh, I'll let you think about it, and I'll call you back on Wednesday. (laughs) So, you know, those were, as you can imagine, the most three long, excruciating days of my life. I called her back on Wednesday, and luckily she said yes. So I had to drive down to Belleville, Texas, where she was at home at her parents' for the summer. And, you know, right off the bat, I had to meet the entire family, so it was kind of nerve-wracking. But finally, we got out, we left, we were on our first date. We drove into Houston for our date, we went out to dinner, and we were talking and having a good time, and then we went out to a, um, 
outdoor Shakespeare play in the park, and we talked and had a good time there. And then after that, we went to Starbucks, and we talked some more. And then I got pulled over for having a taillight out, and we laughed, and we talked some more. And, you know, finally I dropped her off, and before you know it, I looked down at my, my watch and realized eight hours have passed. Our first date lasted eight hours, and it seemed like no time at all. The time just flew by. Um, you know, and I couldn't wait to hang out with her again. I couldn't wait to see her again. She was on my mind. I was a possessed man. And the whole time, I um, was thinking of things we could do, of dates I could take her on and plan for her. Even later on, when we'd been dating for a while, we broke up for a month, and I couldn't get her out of my mind. So I pursued her again. I wooed her back. And uh, on a trip later on to Disney World, I told her, I love you. Yes, it is a magical place. (laughs) And then eventually I married her. But what if now that we've been married for four years, I just stopped? What if I stopped pursuing her? What if I stopped wooing her? Or even worse, what if I did bring her a dozen red roses, but I came home and I said to her, here, these are for you. I have now fulfilled my, my husbandly duty for the month. How, how do you think that would go over? I think I would get uh, a dozen roses right back in my face. If, the, if I actually did do something like that, I think that that would be an indication that something was wrong. Something was wrong in our marriage. And you know, unfortunately, though, I think all of us can think of at least one or two marriages that we know of that are like this. Maybe our parents, maybe a relative or a family friend. And the thing is, is... They don't hate each other, but there's just no love, no passion anymore. It's gone cold. It's a marriage out of duty and obligation. And you know, that's really sad because that's not what marriage is supposed to be. They're missing out on everything that people get married for in the first place. As sad as this marriage would be in marriage, I think it's even more sad when this takes place in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Think back and remember all the passion that you had when you first started walking with Jesus Christ. I can think back and remember for me, I came to know Christ at a young age as a child, but it wasn't until junior high and high school when I really understood what it meant with, to walk with the Lord um, and to know the Lord. And you know, I was so excited about it. I remember uh, the summer after eighth grade, I read through the entire book of Romans and it just came alive to me like never had before, and really like it never has since. Um, I was passionate in prayer. I believed that the Lord was going to answer my prayer. And you know what? I began sharing my faith, and I began teaching in Bible studies, and I began to passionately pursue the Lord. But I think that it's easy for that passion to begin to fade and slip away. You know, it can happen to me. It can happen to you. It could happen to someone who's been walking with the Lord for 50 years. You know, it's interesting to me that here I am now in seminary, and to be honest, I've struggled at times to have that same passion for Christ. In many ways, I've lost uh, some of that initial zeal that I used to have. And you know what? It's not the seminary's fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's simply my own fault. Maybe you're in a similar boat. Maybe in the, uh, as the semester ended and the busyness of everything, of finals, of tests, of friends, of trying to think, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I headed in the future? Work, all these things. Maybe your relationship with Christ has been put on the back burner. 
Maybe uh, it's got pushed aside. Or maybe, you know what, you're still, still doing pretty well in pursuing Christ, but you've kind of plateaued. You've kind of hit this level where you can't get any you can't get past it. You're not falling, but you can't get any higher. Or maybe, you know what, this is the most passionate you've ever been about Christ. Maybe college has been a great time for you, but you want to begin doing things now that will sustain you and continue that growth for the long term. So what we're, the question that we want to ask is how can we keep from losing our passion for Christ and instead deepen our relationship with Jesus? How can we keep from losing our passion with Christ and instead deepen our relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you right away, we're not going to fully answer this question today. We're actually going to spend the whole summer answering this question by looking at the spiritual disciplines. And you know what? We're going to see over the course of the summer that it's the spiritual disciplines that provide us with the tools to really deepen our walk with Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what question you have because I have the same question. Spiritual disciplines deepen my passion for Christ? Whenever I think of spiritual disciplines, I think of legalism. But let me tell you, that's not the case. And we're going to see that that's not true. Today, we're going to lay the foundation for this series by looking at three ways that spiritual disciplines help us to deepen our walk with Christ. We're going to do this by looking at Revelation 2, 1 through 7. And we're going to see that Jesus himself is speaking, and he begins to set the stage for what we're going to look at all summer long. In our passage, Revelation 2, 1 through 7, we're going to see three ways that spiritual disciplines help us have a more passionate relationship with Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn there. We're not going to have it up on the screen this morning, so I'd like you to follow along. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. First, in verses 1 through 3, and in verse 6, we're going to see that spiritual disciplines help you to maintain a tenacious faith in Jesus. Spiritual disciplines help you to maintain a tenacious faith in Jesus. So look with me again at Revelation 2, 1 through 3, but let's just start with verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. First, As we look at this passage, we're going to see that it's addressed to the church of Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus was planted by Paul, and they did really well. They took off for Christ. Not only were they a major city in Asia Minor, but they became a major spiritual city as well. Not only did they thrive in their city, but over the three years that Paul was there, they also began to plant churches and to spread their faith to other cities as well. So this is, uh, the book of Revelation is written about 30 or 40 years later, and we'll see that they still have stayed true to their faith, but the Ephesians' passion for Christ has begun to wane. And John is writing them the words that Jesus wants them to hear. So here we also see, as we continue on in verse 1, that Jesus refers to himself as the one who holds seven stars in his hands and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. If we turn back a page to chapter 1, verse 30, we see that the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands actually refer to the churches, the seven churches that Jesus wanted to address in these two chapters. And so what Christ is saying here is, I am sovereign. I hold the seven churches in my hands. And not only that, but I am present I am among you in, the, in your church. I am present. 
So as we look at the spiritual disciplines this summer, it's most important to remember as we look at these things that Jesus and our relationship with Jesus is the reason that we're focusing on these things. And he's real. He's present today. No matter what the world tells us, no matter what it seems like or how we feel on a day-to-day basis, we know that Jesus is real, he's present, and he loves us, and he's here in our midst. Jesus loves us, and so we're going to see that because of that love, it's because of his love for that Ephesian church, and because of his love for us, that he wants to remind us to renew our first love. And that's why the spiritual disciplines are important. Next, Jesus goes on to give his exhortation and encouragement to the church in verses two through three. Look with me there. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. And then jump down to verse six, where Jesus says, this you have, You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus encourages them by telling them to maintain a tenacious faith in him. Maintain a tenacious faith in him. Two years ago, Sarah and I, we uh, went to a trip to Europe. Uh, We found dirt cheap tickets, so we thought we're going to jump on this opportunity and we're going to go. We decided to ask Sarah's two younger brothers, At the time, Daniel was about to start college, and Michael was about to be a junior uh, in high school. So we went, and we visited London, we visited Rome, and we visited Paris. And, you know, we're seeing all these amazing things every day. One day, we're looking at Big Ben. The next day, we're at the Colosseum, and the next day, we're at the Eiffel Tower. But to my youngest brother-in-law, that didn't matter. To my youngest brother-in-law, he was focused solely on one thing during this time. He said, we have all these amazing sights around us, but he says, guys, guys, I don't really care what we see, just as long as we eat. (laughs) You see, he was focused, he was focused on um, eating because he was convinced But that was the most important thing. And he was determined that he was going to persevere and endure until the next meal. Now that's tenacity. And that is why Jesus tells the church that tenacity in their relationship with Christ is a good thing. It's good to be tenacious. We need to pursue our faith. We need to pursue our relationship with Jesus. We need to pursue it like it's our last meal. He commends the Ephesian church for doing this. They worked, they endured, they remained steadfast in the midst of trying times. We don't know who these false teachers that he refers to are. We don't know who the Nicolaitans are. But we do know that the Ephesian church had a problem with false teachers, and they had for years. So much so that Paul, after he had left Ephesus, he sent Timothy back to help deal with the problem. But here we've seen after 30 and 40 years, they've worked hard and they've maintained a tenacious faith in the midst of trials. This is what Jesus wants from us as well. He wants us to maintain a tenacious faith. We just finished up a long semester, guys. And now we're just a few days from starting it all over again. It's hard to think about going back to class. You know, it's been hard over these last few months of busyness and finals and tests and summer plans to maintain a faithful walk with the Lord. 
But that's what we need, and that's what Christ wants. He wants us to maintain a tenacious faith. And this summer, we're going to see that spiritual disciplines can help us do just that. But you know, the exhortation doesn't stop there, because in order to deepen our relationship with Jesus, it's not enough to just believe. It's not enough to just obey. There has to be something more. And so next, we're going to see what that more is. Spiritual disciplines help us to regain a vibrant love for Christ. We're going to see this in verses 4 through 5. Spiritual disciplines help us to regain a vibrant love for Jesus. So look, look with me at Revelation 2.4. I have this against you, though. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Let me go back to my story at the beginning about marriage. What if, in addition to just bringing her roses and saying, oh, I've fulfilled my husbandly duty, what if in addition to that, I just, I just stopped talking to my wife? What if I just stopped talking to Sarah? What if um, I stopped even acknowledging that she was present? What if I just act like I was a single person, even though I was living in the same house as my wife? Or, or even worse, what if I talked to Sarah, but only once a day, and out of obligation, and I always said the exact same thing? Dear Sarah, thank you for being my wife today. Please bless me and serve me. Amen. And that's all I said to her. I don't think that would go over very well. I don't think I'd have a very deep or passionate relationship. I don't think you would have a very deep or passionate relationship if you treated a boyfriend or a girlfriend that way. And yet Jesus says to the church, that is the way that you are treating me. And that is the way that many times we tend to treat Christ. Initially, we were deeply in love, and that caused us to be on fire. We wanted to spend time with Christ. We wanted to spend time in his word. We wanted to spend time in prayer. But now, we've abandoned our first love. You know, it may even still look like we're doing all the right things, but just like the church in Ephesus, maybe we haven't fallen into false doctrine. Maybe we haven't fallen into sexual immorality. So it looks like we're doing the right thing. But if we don't do it with a heart of love, if we don't ever feel any affection or passion for the Lord when we're reading a scripture or when we're coming to him in prayer, then something is wrong. If we're serving God simply out of obligation, something is wrong. We've abandoned our first love. Nobody wants to be served merely out of obligation. Just like my wife, Christ doesn't want my obligatory roses of service. So, when we serve Christ this way, it quickly turns into legalism. We begin to measure our worth simply by how many quiet times we have a week, or how often we go to church, how regularly we pray. You know, all these things are good things, and they can enhance our relationship with Christ. But when they become the goal or the measure by which we measure our spiritual worth, then that is legalism when we have lost our first love and our passion for Christ. And you know, that will eventually kill our spiritual lives. We don't do things out of obligation, guys. Instead, we remember that Christ loved us so much that he gave everything and died for us on a cross for our sins. It's because of this, because of his love that was demonstrated to us, 
that we love him. So we don't do things out of obligation. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You notice that? It's based on love, not obligation, not legalism. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So Jesus prescribes a cure for us in in Revelation 2, verse 5. Look with me there. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So the first prescription is easy. Simply remember that time that you first fell in love with Christ. Remember it. Remember the passion and the joy and the love that you first felt. Secondly, return to the works that you did at first. Back when Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to deal with the false teachers, he wrote a letter to Timothy, and he gave him instructions about the situation. In 1 Timothy 1.5, he laid out what the goal was. He said to Timothy, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then he went on throughout the letter to list a number of things that they should be doing in order to reach this goal. Things like prayer, reading the scripture, things like self-control, service, and generosity. These are the things that they did at first. These are the things that Christ now, 30 years later, is calling them to return to, to renew their first love. Without these things, he knew that their relationship would continue to grow cold. We need to come back to these same things too. Throughout church history, the church has labeled these things as spiritual disciplines. You know, I prefer to to think of them and refer to them as spiritual investments. Because what we're doing is we're not doing something out of legalism. We're not checking off boxes on a checklist. We're investing in our relationship with Christ And it does take effort, and it does take time, just like it would in dating. We don't call our girlfriend every day because we're obligated to, but it does take effort. We call her, though, because we want to, and that's an easy effort to make because we want to. But if we didn't call, and we continue to not call week after week after week, our relationship would probably suffer. It's the same thing with our walk with Christ. That's why we're focusing on spiritual disciplines this summer. Spiritual disciplines help us regain a vibrant love for Jesus. And he's inviting us this summer to regain that vibrant love. You know, when we do these things, they all lead naturally to the last way that the spiritual disciplines can help you that we're going to look at today. The spiritual disciplines help you to obtain an eternal reward from Jesus. The spiritual disciplines help you to obtain a eternal reward from Jesus. In verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In the scriptures, the first mention that we have of this tree of life is back in Genesis. And Adam and Eve are able to eat from this tree of life. And through it, they gain life, and they're able to maintain a close and intimate relationship with God. But that's not the last time that the tree of life is mentioned. It's mentioned over and over again throughout Scripture, and it always represents an intimate and close relationship with God. 
while you're here in college, you're making some good friendships, but eventually you're going to leave and you're going to go your separate ways to different cities. You're going to have different jobs. You're going to start your own families and you're going to be busy. And unless you really work hard to maintain some of these friendships that you're making now, they're not going to last, at least not in a meaningful way beyond maybe Facebook friends. During my time in College Station and in seminary at Dallas, I've made several really good, close guy friendships. And we've become very close over the years. But, you know, we know if we want them to continue and to last and deepen that we do have to invest time and effort into them. And we have, to be honest. Take this weekend, for example. Even though most of us are now married and many of us either have or expecting or are expecting children, we've decided this weekend that we were going to spend Memorial Day weekend together. So we've gone down to my in-law's house in Belleville, and we've been hanging out, and most of them are sitting right here on the second row right now. Uh, and we've done, we've done that. We've invested time and effort. In the same way, though, if we want our relationship with the Lord to deepen and to thrive, we've got to invest time and effort into, the, into it. But you know what? The reward is in the relationship. You know, there is a time in the future kingdom when we'll know Christ more perfectly. But he tells us now that we can begin to experience that relationship in a deep way today. Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. As we know Christ, we can experience eternal life today. So our eternal reward is bound up in our quality with the, of the relationship that we have with Christ. Spiritual disciplines help us obtain that eternal reward. So this summer, let's work hard and begin to obtain that eternal reward now. Today, we've looked at three ways that spiritual disciplines help us to have a deep walk with Christ. We've seen that spiritual disciplines help us maintain a tenacious faith in Christ. They help us to regain a vibrant love for Christ, and they help us to obtain an eternal reward from Christ. Before we leave, I want us to take a moment and reflect as we get going with this series. I want us to break up into groups of three or four, and I want us to spend a couple of moments, and we're going to reflect on our lives, and we're going to reflect on spiritual disciplines. I want to know, how do you feel? Are you, when you think about spiritual disciplines, are you challenged? Are you convicted? Are you encouraged? I want each of us to leave today encouraged. We should be. Christ loves us, and he's the one who can help us renew our first love. So what's one area of spiritual discipline that you might like to see growth in this summer. Break up and talk about that for a moment, and then I'll bring us back together and pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we love you because you first loved us. You loved us enough to send us your son, who became a human, who died in our place, who took away our sins so that we could be justified before you, and then who rose again so that we may have life with you simply by believing. We thank you so much for this summer. We thank you for the fact that we know that you've created each one of us, that you love each one of us, and you have a plan for our lives. We don't want to live our lives haphazardly. We don't want to live our lives in a way that's unfulfilling. And we recognize and we believe that true fulfillment comes through having a relationship with you, 
that we can have an eternal quality of life today by knowing you and knowing Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we pray this summer as we focus on spiritual disciplines that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would excite us, Father God, to know you and to walk with you and to exercise these disciplines and to put in the time and the effort to have a vibrant relationship with you, God. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our time together. We just ask that you would be glorified and worshiped through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.